0: Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast.
1: We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to
0: intentionality,
1: diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy. Sure. So I'm interested for you when you were growing up, how did your family, how did faith, your identity, how did those things all kind of meet and converge?
0: Well, good morning, and thank you for before we jump in. I just wanted to say thank you. Um, From the moment we stepped into Cascade, we have felt nothing but welcomed. Um, We don't know many of you, we only know just a tiny handful, uh, but the feeling of being here has just been so welcoming and has restored my hope in church. So I just wanted to say that first. Uh, So I was not raised in church. My parents divorced when I was 10. Uh, My mom was raised in the church, but once she was married, she she didn't bring us to church. At a very early age, I identify it as about the second grade. I had an awareness that I was different. I didn't have a name for different. I just knew I was different. I also had a a real awareness of God. Even though I wasn't in church, there was just something within me. uh, I believe it was God. That you know, I had this awareness of this presence. The hard part of that is that I believed who I was different was in direct conflict with this God that I had an awareness of. As I grew up and into middle school, I learned that different had a name. Different was gay, and different was really bad. It was um, a secret to keep. It was something to be ashamed of and it didn't allow me to belong in ways that I saw my friends belonging and it taught me that belonging meant putting on a mask and pretending to be something that was worthy enough and good enough to be a part of that belonging that I was seeking and so I did all the things, and you know, in middle school, I had boyfriends. I wrote their names on my folders and I, I did all of the things. and through high school, I went to homecoming and prom and all of those things to try to fit in and to, and to belong. And I was also hoping, I think, in that process, not realizing it, that I was trying to be who God wanted me to be. I was trying to be right with God, even though I didn't know exactly what that meant. And so I, I, I learned at an early age that, you know, it, it just it wasn't okay to be who I was. Um.
1: And so in the midst of that kind of wrestling with those two pieces, how, how did that work with understanding who God was and saying, okay, there feels like God's in this. I need to go there. But this community that I'm a part of is actively denying that part of me. How did those things push and pull, and, and work together?
0: So for me, church, um, okay, so I, I, I was actively looking for a way, you know, the, the saying, I've got to get right with God. A lot of times we think prior to baptism we have to get cleaned up and then get baptized so that we're good enough for God. So I think on my own I spent a long time trying to get to the place where, okay, I'm, I'm good enough now. Now I can step into that. And so for me, what that looked like is um, meeting the right guy, uh, getting married, having uh, my first child. And then those points, I kept thinking, okay, this is going to be the thing that changes me. Surely, you know, God is listening to my prayers because since I was a child, I've said the bedtime prayer. You know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And I'd been saying that for years out of a deep sense of fear. Please don't let anything happen to me before I can get right with God and, and move into that um, and so the same thing happened with marriage and having a child it's like this is going to be the thing that changes me you know this guy is great I love him I, I it's not the way probably that you know a wife should feel towards a husband but I love him and I care deeply about him this should be enough it'll change me first child second child and I keep thinking this is going to be the thing. And then, with the birth of our second child, um, I was about twenty-five. We were dedicated together in the church, the three of us, and it was beautiful. And I thought, you know, as I was on my knees with my children, I was praying, "Okay, I'm doing it right. This is the thing. It's in a church. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm finally this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it now." And um, it didn't happen. And so. I thought, well, I've done this. Maybe if I get more involved in the church. And so I started volunteering, and I volunteered with the youth. And volunteering led to part-time staff. And before I knew it, I was in seminary pursuing my MDiv. And again and again, each time, I'm nothing's changing. And, and with that comes a really deep sense of... Um, you know, when you're, when you're working so hard, to you're using performance to be accepted and loved. All I'm feeling on the inside is failures. It doesn't matter what, you know, how well I'm doing in seminary. It doesn't matter how uh, active I'm in the church. Like, inside, it's all just saying, you're failing at this. You're failing at this. You're not good enough. God can never love you. And then, on top of it, I was in a church that was not affirming. Um, I come from the United Methodist denomination, and so I'm actively, a, and I was going to Asbury, which is also a prominently Methodist seminary, and so everything's being reinforced. All of these religious beliefs are being reinforced that who I am is a sin, and um, you know so many, so many things like that. And so uh, then I try baptism in the ocean. I mean it sounds funny, but I'm like, you know I was sprinkled in a church, maybe i didn't do that right. uh maybe I need full immersion to to wash this you know this away and I, I like I said, I know it sounds funny, but it was I was desperate to find a way to be right in god's sight and to and to be who He wanted me to be, you know whatever that looked like and so this um all of this kind of unraveled about nine years ago, or 10 years ago now, when I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, I was married for almost 17 years and with my ex for almost 20. Uh, so I tried until it, it almost killed me. Uh, and I don't say that lightly because the point where everything broke for me, I was suicidal. And... Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't. I don't think I ever really wanted to die. I just absolutely did not know how to go on living, being who I was, and experiencing what I had in terms of the church and religion, and and just feeling like my prayers that that you know, he, he I wasn't being changed. So I just I reached that point where. Um, It just seemed like I would be better off, it would be better off for everyone. Everyone would be better off without me in their story. Mm. And the other piece I just kind of want to add is that one of the ways that I dealt with this, uh, coped with this all my life, was by using drugs and alcohol. I'm five and a half years clean and sober. Mm. Um, And, yeah, it's a (laughs) big. And so, um, you know, addiction was a, all of this kind of culminated to that, to that point. And um, when I finally realized, you know, that I had to get to a place where I could love and accept myself, only then could I deal with that as well.
1: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what were, what was kind of the breaking point? Because there's a lot of hearing in your story, like, well, if I do this, this will fix it. If I do this, this will fix it. And when was the,
0: oh, no, it's not, any of these things aren't going to fix it. They're not going to address it. Um, Sadly, I I think that breaking point for me was when I had put my hope in another pastor in another church, in another place that I thought there was belonging. And I only learned that it was... um, it just it it, it wasn't, um, and I know that's vague, but it, it's very complicated. As far as um, I thought I had found what I was looking for, and really what I had to do is understand that church and religion is very different from a relationship with God. And I had to kind of cut through, you know, my background. I also have a legal background, and so I work um, in that legal community, and things are, you know, very. There can be gray areas, but you research and you research and you get your answer mm-hmm. and um for me, it had to be i had to strip away all of all of the teaching and all you know i had it had to become God's voice and listening to God's voice to break through all of the teachings that I had been mm-hmm. exposed to um, and so I did that through um, facing my traumas, and i you know. Trauma is a heavy word and I I didn't really understand because I had been in therapy for uh, a number of years and following this suicidal episode, my therapist said, I think what we need to do is we need to send you someplace that specializes in trauma and that's what we did and really it was there that I began to understand um, throughout my life just how all of that kind of put together um had affected me and and how I had used you know even just all of it being good enough and and I'm losing my train of thought sorry No, no no
1: you're doing great (laughs) so sounding like all that like be good enough alcohol can treat it have kids be baptized and then finally reaching a breaking point where you need to go and have an intervention and have help what what
0: what was helpful in that and through the trauma therapy or? um, Recognizing that the church had traumatized me as well. You know, I could see the other aspects, but for someone to say, you understand you've been traumatized by the church Mm -hmm. was very difficult to absorb. And then in the same, in that same breath to say, okay, now we have to help you love and accept who you are, and not just love and accept that, but understand that God loves and accepts you for who you are, and that you can absolutely be proud of who you are, and that gay and Christian don't, they can, it can be an, it's not an either or, it's an and, it can be both. Um, And that's really hard when you have not, you know, you don't have that representation in your life. You know, growing up, I'm a child of the '80s, and you know, I never—I could never hardly find anyone that looked like me in terms of being uh, gay. Um, And then, as an adult, in in being a Christian, you know, again, I didn't see gay Christians. And so, I mean, I think that's why I'm here because, in telling my story, you know, the night that I was ready to give up, I didn't believe I mattered. I didn't believe, my story mattered, and I never want anyone to feel that kind of pain. Mm-hmm. And if in sharing my story, and I know that in sharing my story this is true because I received the letters and the messages that say, you know, I haven't seen that either in my life, and because you shared your story, I now, you know, I now see this or, you know, this piece, and so that's the kind of hope that I want to share with people is that you know, it is really possible to um, to be gay and Christian and to be loved and accepted by God, that you're good enough just as, as you are.
1: That's beautiful. So I would love to hear more and kind of knowing how you've kind of channeled this new emergence of hope into your life, into your work. Um, if you could talk a little bit about sober hipster and
0: and what that is. Sure. Uh, When I was in treatment, one of the things that I was introduced to was uh, art therapy. And we had art therapy on Fridays and it was just an opportunity to come into a space with your group and have all kinds of supplies ready for you. And usually there was some kind of prompt. It was either a question or a song or something that um, allowed us to reflect on our story and what I discovered through working with my hands and working through art therapy like that art therapy is all about taking the internal and making it external and so I, I discovered and processed things about my story whether it was my childhood or my adulthood that I had never been able to put words to because that's the beauty of art therapy you don't have to have the words first um, through that you can find the words and so I really, this really opened up a whole new world for me. And so I would spend my weekends uh, continuing and expanding these projects. And I didn't know it at the time, but all of that would become what is the story box, which is, is one of the things that I offer. And it's art therapy in a box. And it's my story and art therapy coming together. And I've put together what I call story cards in this box that will guide people uh, in their journey of discovering their story through art therapy. And I think it's important to note that art therapy isn't about, it's not a box that's going to teach you how to make art. It's about using art to help you find the beauty and strength in your story. So you don't have to be an artist. You don't even have to be creative to do it. It's just another way of, of learning to embrace who you are in your story. And um, so I did that. I, I created um, It's called The Sober Hipster, and uh, I use the story box to do workshops and um, to reach people in the, you know, recovery community. I have three different versions, kind of, I would say maybe the three areas of my life that I've really wrestled with and, uh, of course, the addiction piece. So one of the boxes um, deals with recovery from anything, drugs, alcohol, you know, it can be, you can fill in that addiction. Um, There's one that deals with body image issues. And then uh, the third one is pride, which is all about being proud of who you are. And that doesn't have to necessarily mean LGBTQ. It can it can mean anything um, because I think we all struggle sometimes with being proud of who we are and our differences. So.
1: And I hope you caught what's, what I think is so beautiful about Lisa's story and the, what I think the promise of hope that we come to in the church is a promise of hope isn't jettisoning off other parts of our story or difficult parts of our story so that we can get to hope but through the midst of the difficult parts and reclaiming some of those difficult parts and saying if I could say something back to myself when I was in those places what would I say and you can hear in Lisa's story how integrated it all is that it's not like, well, that was tough, so that needs to go in the past. But now I'm going to just say some hopeful things to people, or we'll just encourage people now. But it's, it's, there's a through line through the whole piece. Um, and so I want to be very clear about this. Lisa was like, I don't know that I want to sell those. And I'm like, what? We have to make those available. If we're going to talk about them here, they have to be available. And if you're like, I don't know, Jesus whipped people out of that, come talk to me. Uh, there's a... <laughs> That's a totally different thing, okay? <laughs> and these are amazing and brilliant, and I fully appreciate Lisa to make these available because um, I think they're incredible. So Lisa, if you're talking about you and Lori, how, what brought you to Portland? How long have you been to Portland?
0: Uh, we arrived here on April 16th, so we are about three months in. Uh, we fell in love with Portland a few years ago from a distance, just started looking. Uh, we were, you know, in Florida and... <laughs> It's uh, it's a tough place to be when you're a lesbian couple. I mean, there's no <laughs> other way to say it. Um, and on and and on a more serious note, um, we lived very close to and um, Pulse was a place where I first experienced um, freedom as a gay woman, and uh, we were, you know, part of that community that dealt with the tragic, horrific events that took place on June 12th in 2016. And so, you know, going through that process, it was like a wake-up call, I think, to us that we absolutely need to be who we are and live where we feel free and alive and can um, live into our story the way that we want. And so Portland seems like a, a good place to, to do that. And so we're super excited to be here. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's permission to all of you to invite Lisa and Lori over, and you guys have permission to say no, but to welcome <laughs> them to Portland to make sure that they know that they, we are so happy that you're here. Um, with that, I, I'm interested, what fills you with hope going forward? When you look uh, down the road to the, the following years of your life, what gives you the most energy or hope? <clears throat>
0: Um one of the things that gives me a lot of hope is you know I mentioned seminary and and I I had to stop pursuing my MDiv there was there was a belief in me that to to change the world to make a difference that that looked like checking the box of MDiv being on a church staff being in a church and going out and bringing people in to the church what fills me with hope is that I absolutely believe that the sober hipster is something that God has given me to be out in the world to show people who the church is and lead them into that relationship with a God of their understanding. And so I don't have to be in the church to make a difference. Do I want to be part of a faith? Yes, absolutely. That's why I'm here. But what fills me with hope is that I don't have to to see it as I've got to do all these things. And go out, I can be out there and do that same kind of work, so to speak. And the other thing I think that fills me with hope is that I, you know, I know that that what I'm doing is meeting a need. And that fills me with hope. If if I didn't, if I didn't get the feedback that I've received, I absolutely know there's a need for this, whether it's somebody struggling in their um, recovery from drugs and alcohol who You know, that's why one of the other things I have is the shirt that says, you matter, your story matters. And that shirt, people wearing that shirt, I've received so many messages of how that shirt has been an invitation anywhere from strangers for people to feel like because they had that shirt on, that they could tell someone their story. Um, And that fills me with hope that people are still looking to connect and, and looking to belong. And I can help them feel like they matter.
1: Amazing. So, we don't want to miss the opportunity now to actually take one of the exercises that Lisa has created and we're going to do it as a congregation. So, hopefully, you got a piece of paper when you came in and a pencil. And what we're going to do is in, in a little bit, we're going to play a song of Lisa's choosing. Would you talk a little bit about the song? Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, so, in, um, in 2008, I led a mission team of adults and youth to Cairo, Egypt. And one of my best friends is a Christian recording artist, or was at the time. Uh, she is also gay um, and has been a big part of my story and in, in my healing. And so following that mission trip to Cairo, I was in Austin spending the weekend with her. And she mentioned that she was writing a song for me. And uh, so, yeah, so this is the song. It's called You'll Be Whole. And uh, I just, I love I love the song because it's... It's an invitation to all of us that, that we can find it.
1: Yeah. And so um, hopefully you can see up on the screen. What we're going to invite you to do is we're going to play the song. And for you just to be able to sit and then pay attention to whatever comes up and jot it down, draw, write, um, any kind of thoughts or memories or words that really strike you in the song. It's kind of an exercise for us to, to do together. Would you thank Lisa for being willing to come here this morning and share her story? <laughs>